Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Sonia, and this week we're talking about our favorite dishes that don't require a recipe, the kinds of things that we're making over and over and over again in our kitchens. And of course, like always, I'm very surprised to hear some of the things Carrie is cooking and not cooking, and I know that feeling's mutual, but these are the kinds of dishes that are so deeply personal. They're rooted in what we grew up eating, they're rooted in things our friends shared with us at critical moments in our life. These are comfort foods, and we'd love to hear what some of your recipes are that don't require recipes drop us a line at foodfriendspod at gmail.com or or dm us on instagram we love hearing from you and stay tuned to hear more hi carrie hi sonia how are you today i am doing very well and i'm excited to have this conversation with you per usual yeah. How, are you? Get How are you? Let's get into it. I mean, I'm great. I'm ready to get into it. So we're talking about cooking without recipes. I love this topic because a lot of my cooking, most of my cooking is without recipes. So in a way, this could be like kind of an infinite conversation because Agreed. I'm rarely like taking out a recipe and following it. But I do think that there's this kind of category of like, you once found a recipe or someone once told you how to make something and then you've been riffing on it for years and you no longer have to look at a reference because you just know it so well, right? Yeah. And I think there's also this other nuance, which is that, yeah, generally speaking, I don't follow recipes to a T. But generally, if I'm like, oh, I have this in my fridge, I'll, I have broccoli in my fridge, I'll look up a couple of broccoli recipes and then I'll use them as a starting point. Mm-hmm. And I think that's different. I think there are a lot of cooks out there, especially people who are kind of cooking every day or cook once or twice a week. People can generally kind of riff on a couple of ideas, but this is a little different. It's a dish that you just know off the top of your head. You're not ever going into a cookbook or an app. And even if you're just kind of running through the grocery store and buying three items. Yeah. This is that this is that thing, right? Or rummaging through your refrigerator. Or rummaging through your pantry. Yeah. Right. And you're like, oh right, I can make this dish. Yes. And I would almost even call this a signature kind of dish, you uh-huh. know, and I think I think that can have two different meanings. Like you can say, oh, my signature chocolate cake that I spend a whole day <laughs> making. That's one thing. But this is the thing that maybe that you knew your mom always made a certain dish right. or you knew that your grandmother always made a certain dish. The dish that I wanted to sort of start with from my side was this, this green bean stew. And it was made for us when mm. Mac was a baby. One of our friends made it for us and I asked, it was so comforting. And it was so needed in the moment. And so I asked my friend to kind of talk me through how she made it. And when I started making it, I just found it to be this endlessly riffable dish. And I also think green bean stew doesn't really do it justice. So I have never even had anything I can think is like a green bean stew. I'm really curious, like, what is this dish? It's a tomato sauce based dish, but it's a light tomato, like a light tomato broth with green beans. And then what she made it with was chicken, Mm -hmm. you know, like a, you can use boneless, skinless thighs. You can also use a chicken breast if you want it to be slightly lighter. I like the thighs because they're a little bit more tender. Mm -hmm. They don't dry Um, out. 
Yeah, they don't dry out. And mm-hmm. and if you like onions or garlic, you can put those in there. I like onions and garlic both in mine. Mm-hmm. And and then so it's like green beans, chicken, tomato sauce, and you put it over rice. Yum. And so it's, it's like just like a simmered and the green beans aren't bright green and al dente. They're like a no, soft green No, they're soft. Bean. They're yeah. a soft green bean. And, and you what know, is I think, the spice profile? Is it more like Italian or is it just There's no spice. Wow. I would say the dominant flavor is butter tomato. You have butter and then you can add a little bit of onion if you have one, a little bit of garlic if you have it. To soften that up, you add tomato sauce and like a can of chopped tomatoes if you have them. Wow. Then the green beans and the chicken and some broth or water. And then you just simmer it down. Oh, that's so simple. And is it like pretty fast? Is it like a 30-minute kind of simmer? If that, it depends on the size of your your pieces of chicken. You can make it a little fancier, like you get the butter going and the onions going, and then you can sort of toss the chicken in that and then add your liquids or not. You can just kind of throw it all in the pot and cover the pot. And basically, you just want the chicken to be cooked and the green beans And if it's the summer and there are green beans, you can use fresh ones. If it's the winter and there aren't green beans, you can use frozen ones. Oh my goodness. Frozen green beans. Wow, I never would have thought of that. That's so smart. My friend never uses frozen green beans, but I grew up using – my mom always used frozen green beans. We always had that in our freezer. And also, if you're a gardener and you have a plethora of green beans and you freeze them, then you've got your own green beans from your freezer. It's like one of those things like I always have a bag of frozen peas, especially for like a pasta or yeah. a pot. I love that. I think frozen peas are a great thing to have in your freezer and also are one of those vegetables that actually usually taste better frozen than fresh. And you're right that frozen green beans taste really good. The few times I have them, they're not that different in flavor than when you cook fresh beans, unless you're looking for an al dente bean, like a firm. That's no, but different. This is not but that's that. Not, this yeah, is, that makes this sense. Is the, this is meant to be like a very comforting dish. And a couple of times, I made this with pasta, I thought, oh, well, it's a tomato sauce. I'm going to toss it with pasta. And it doesn't have the same effect. You need the rice because – and you don't have to use butter, but I will say the sort of buttery – tomato sauce Mm -hmm. on the rice. It's just this really simple and comforting dish. Butter and tomatoes is really underrated. There's some, I mean, there's that Marcello Hazan tomato sauce that requires- Which is my favorite. Yes. so good and it requires butter. But there was also like you've mentioned before, I think there are Indian dishes that have like ghee or butter with tomatoes. Because tomatoes are so acidic, especially when they're canned. They kind of have a tartness and it really mellows it. It rounds out the flavor. And I grew up eating like Uncle Ben minute rice. Like that was the rice that we ate. Mm -hmm. I know rice is, I think we're going to have a whole episode or a few about rice coming (laughs) up, but you know, I didn't really grow up eating like proper rice. And that was a really simple dish that I would make maybe when I was in high school, I would just get like uncle Ben's rice from the Mm -hmm. box and steam it in the microwave and then put a pat of butter on it with some salt. And that is like, to me, also a very underrated Very experience. comforting. With this dish, you mentioned chicken and different kinds of chicken. Because you're cooking without a recipe, do you riff on that part of it? Like, do you ever make it just green beans? Do you ever add other proteins? I have. We have this really great pork farmer at our farmer's market, and they have a mild Italian sausage that we love, and I like to keep on hand in the freezer. And so I've definitely done it with sausage. And if that's the case, I usually brown the sausage first, right. and then 
then I'll add the butter and then I'll add the onions and garlic. But I've also just done it with chickpeas, like a can of chickpeas because oh, it's like so – smart. Yeah. I mean then it's totally vegetarian. Yeah. Um, even though it's like kind of a double bean, the chickpeas feel meaty kind of compared to the green beans because the green beans are really soft and comforting. So if you didn't eat meat, that's a staple in my pantry is a can or a container of chickpeas. I would imagine that's the same for you. Well, what's great about this dish is that everything can kind of always live in your freezer and in your pantry. If you regularly make it, you don't really have to go to the store for it because you usually will have the elements. And especially if there are things you already like, like sausages, you know, cans of tomatoes most people have in their pantry onions and garlic butter. So so I love a basic, basic recipe. It makes me think, so my like main go-to, I never use a recipe and I'm always changing it is roast chicken. And Oh, I, tell me more because I do not make roast chicken at my house. If you I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't understand. I mean, we have like a rotisserie chicken truck guy at the farmer's market. And so if I'm going to get – I just don't bother roasting chicken. That's just – so like, Do you funny. roast a whole chicken or do you roast chicken pieces? All of it. I roast whole chickens. I spatchcock chickens. I roast chicken parts. I do roast chicken a hundred different ways and that's my main go-to recipe. You know, this makes me remember that time when your James was working in Montreal for work and I visited you in Montreal and we went to that incredible rotisserie rotisserie chicken oh, place yeah. with the peri-peri sauce. Yeah, yeah. We lived in like the Portuguese neighborhood and there was this like amazing, it was like so garlicky and so good. That was probably similar to what you do now. It's like, why would I make roast chicken when I have this amazing local spot that I can just pick it up from? Yeah. I'm so excited to hear what your this yeah. go-to roast chicken. So I think we should get into it because yeah. I think part of it is like, this is just not really in my lexicon. This is not in my repertoire of like what I do. I used to make chicken for clients but I kind of had like a couple of really plain ways that I did it. So maybe it like kind of stems from the fact that like every Friday night for Shabbat dinner in my house growing up, my mom made roast chicken. She made it slathered in teriyaki sauce. That's a whole other story, which um, (laughs) we'll link to an article about why. But I think that tradition of like roast chicken and Shabbat has like carried into my life. And so most of the time when I'm making a roast chicken, I'm doing it on a Friday night or maybe on like a Sunday night for like a Sunday supper, right? Right. it's like a very comforting thing if you have kind of last minute guests or entertaining because most unless someone's vegetarian most people will eat roast chicken so I just love it as like this comfort food canvas and I do have like kind of directions I always go in with my roast chicken dish and you know I probably could talk for hours about all the variations which I will spare everyone but like my go-to number one way that I do it is I first of all love to cook a whole roast chicken in a Dutch oven in like a big okay like a chicken in a pot Chicken in a pot as opposed okay. to on a baking sheet, which I you can also totally do. But this is why. To me, it's like almost a waste to cook a chicken on a sheet pan, whether it's or a roasting pan, even if you're like collecting the drippings or something. Because what I love about roast chicken, because there are these like drippings that come from the chicken, I want to make like a one pot meal. One, it flavors right. the other ingredients. And two, I don't have to do as many. Di- I mean, it's just so simple. You make one pot and then you have a side salad and you're done. That's it. There's dinner. Is that kind of why like like the roast chicken truck that I go to at the farmer's market is that's why he puts all the potatoes yes. like underneath the chicken. Because when 
you say the drippings, it's that all the fat, the schmaltz, right? The schmaltz. What, exactly. we call it, we call it, it's called the schmaltz, which I learned, you know, yeah. relatively in the last few years. But my guy, Mr. John, he gets broccoli from the farmer's other stand. So he puts broccoli in with his um, potatoes, which I really like too, because then it's like not so heavy. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's very common in France, these rotisserie, and I'm sure in other places, Portugal, but these rotisserie chicken shops that have potatoes and rotisserie chicken. Because yes, then you're not letting all that schmaltz go to waste. Right. And it's very flavorful, especially if you add things to the chicken, like spices or herbs or whatever. But even if it's just plain, schmaltz is pretty flavorful. So my go-to mix, because potatoes can feel sometimes heavy, I like to do leeks and sweet potato. Those are like my main go-to base. Oh, okay. Um, or onion and sweet potato and garlic. So do you cut them? Do you cut them up? Like, how do you? Um... It like, and this is the beauty of like the no recipe part. You can cut them into rounds. You can cut them lengthwise and keep them long. You can do big chunks. You can do whatever you like. The sweet potatoes, I usually quarter them or have them depending how thick they are. If they're really thick, I like smaller pieces so I make sure they cook a whole big giant chunk of sweet potato takes a long time to cook it's sometimes longer, right? longer than a chicken so again you're wanting to think about like you don't want things too small so they burn you don't want things too thick so that they don't cook so basically like quartered you know two inch chunks of a veg okay. i might throw in some carrots i might throw in some parsnips i have literally done a mixture of carrots parsnips and beets before but i love that like flavor of leek and sweet potato the most okay. and then sometimes and then i always add like garlic I'll like cut a garlic head in half you know down Mm. through its center and I'll stick half the bulb into the chicken and half the bulb into the vegetables I'll take a lemon I'll squeeze that over everything stick the lemon inside the chicken if I and then you put you put the top on the pot for this yeah like partially and then I wait yeah partial so this isn't a crispy chicken this is a roasty chicken with like soft skin it does get crispy it's not entirely soft like it if you crack the lid a little bit it gets pretty brown and you can lift the lid off for like the last 15 20 minutes if you want it will get even more brown it's not like the crispiest chicken on earth but it's definitely not soggy it has enough air flowing that it's not a steaming situation but it not too much air so that it actually doesn't dry out at all so other flavor like because this is something i'm riffing on a lot of times i'll keep a jar of harissa paste in the fridge i really like new york shook in particulars, they have a great harissa paste. I'll slather that on the chicken. And then it's like this harissa mixture dripping onto the vegetables. But you could do- Yeah, you could stick some rosemary from the garden or from down the street if you live around a lot of rosemary, (laughs) which we do. You can do nothing at all. You could do just like salt and pepper and sweet potato and leek and chicken, and that's good. You could drop in a like splash of white wine and make that a little more saucy on the bottom. You know, it's just infinitely riffable and it always tastes good. And oh, the other thing is temperature. Like it's very, one of those recipes, sometimes I do it at 375. Sometimes I do it at 400. Sometimes it takes a little longer because the chicken's bigger. I just check it after like, you know, an hour usually and see where we're at. Now that we're having this conversation, it reminds me of a couple of of times that I have made this sort of chicken in the pot idea. And in some ways, 
I don't know, it's it's funny to sort of admit this out loud, but it's like, it's almost like too open for me. It's like too like, oh, kind of whatever you feel. Like I'm always a little <laughs> disappointed in it. I have made a chicken in a pot. I, I don't think I ever cracked the lid. And so it was kind of just more of a steamed chicken. I don't know. I just didn't love the flavor of it enough to like keep making it or this idea that you kind of make this every Friday or every couple of weeks or something like that. Like I want it to be really good if I'm going to make it. And I so, mean, this is really good. This is the kind of thing people come over and like, can you yeah, make that again? Yeah. Because uh, the other thing is like, there's a sauce forming around the vegetables. It's all very luxurious when you eat it together as a bite. Right. I will say if you don't like a pot or you don't have a Dutch oven and you're like, I can't make this at all. My go-to other way to make chicken simply, besides again, like 100% you can get a roasting pan or casserole dish or sheet pan and make chicken that way. You can put stuff underneath it too. You can do exactly what I said in anything else. But my other kind of And then fa- not cover it if you put and it not in co- a- Well, right, actually, if you put it- this is how I grew up making chicken. I, we always cover, like tented it kind of with tin foil for the first half of the cooking time and uncovered it for the second half of the cooking time. No, it's not quite as crispy, but it is- Right. In that it protects way. it a little bit. It but still browns. But my right. favorite way uncovered, no covering, is to either buy chicken parts, like already cut up chicken. And it, if I'm doing that, my preference is usually a bone-in, skin-on thigh, personally. Okay. Or spatchcocking a chicken, which sounds very complicated. But after <laughs> your first time trying it, you'll get the hang of it. It's basically you're just like cutting out the neck bone so it can lie flat. Most standard chickens that I buy – will fit in a large cast iron. And so I'll basically do exactly what I just told you, do a bed of vegetables, let's say even onion, carrot, celery, very simple. And then the spatchcock chicken or thighs on top. And then I'll roast that open in a cast iron. And that works really well. The one thing that I do that's different though, is I brown the chicken before you brown the chicken first. So I brown, especially if it's chicken thighs, before I add any vegetables to the pan, I'll brown the chicken skin side down and then um, take it out of the pan for a sec, then throw all the vegetables, the vegetables in, in and then put it on top. And then the last thing I'll say is there's another recipe that's sort of a go-to for entertaining in this family, in this cast iron chicken family that I don't need a recipe for anymore, which is instead of vegetables, sometimes I'll add shallots and grapes. And it's literally roasted grapes and shallots and chicken thighs. You can find recipes for this. Yes, grapes. Roasted grapes and shallots with the chicken. I've never done that before. You've never had roasted? never. Have you had roasted grapes and sausage? That's like a very classic. I mean, I think maybe like a million years ago, but <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Like that's wow, that's so so. It's so funny that that's like like bounced out of your brain. Oh, I oh, didn't make grapes. it up. It's grapes. It's, no, just oh, yeah, that yeah. this is this is one of the things that you don't even need a recipe for. You're just like, oh yeah, shallots and grapes and chicken. <laughs> <laughs> it's good with some olives. It's good with some white wine. Some thyme. Oh, like right. if I'm doing the that, the sweet and the salty, yeah, like yeah. the sweet grapes and the salty olives. It's a very fun fall entertaining dish. Very easy to make. I'm almost speechless, even though I keep (laughs) interrupting (laughs) you. I can't even. Shallots and grapes and olives. That sounds, it sounds so interesting. I say go for it, Carrie. I mean. I know. I might have to experiment with this. I think in some ways I'm a little embarrassed as someone who cooks all the time that a roast chicken on a Friday night or on a Sunday is such a classic meal. And there are so many people who just to the point of this whole conversation 
question, just do this off the top of their head. And I don't do it. I don't, yeah. I, it's not really something that I ever go to. Like I like this green bean stew dish and there's a lentil dish that you and I both make and riff off of that, um, that we were going to talk about, which is like a coconut lentil, right? What are your, co- what's your sort of coconut lentil base? Do you have like a general base? Yeah. I mean, you and I started making a really similar dish. I felt like you started it. And then I riffed on it and then you started doing the version I was doing, but you initiated the whole process. That's my memory. I don't know. Who knows? It's like your (laughs) dish, my dish, our dish. Yes. It's another one of those pantry staples where I'm like, if I'm having one of those days where I'm like, what can I make? What can I make? Because we all have those moments. You're like, I didn't go to the store. I don't have this or that. I'm so tired. Yeah. I want to eat something. I don't don't want to go anywhere. I want it to be healthy. I don't want to feel bad. Yes. This is like one of those perfect dishes if you store these things and make a point of having them in your pantry, which is red lentils, which is something I typically have in my pantry, a can of or two of coconut milk. Mm -hmm. And then it's like carrot, onion. I'll add celery sometimes. You've got it. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes celery, onion, garlic. Potatoes sometimes I add. I've never added potatoes to mine. That's interesting. Or sweet potato. Oh yeah. I think I have added sweet potato. Or even if you have like a can of pumpkin, you can stir that in. Oh, I've never done that. Adds a sweetness and a creaminess to it. Wow. I've done that before. How smart. I had never thought of that. Yeah. But basically you're just like sauteing vegetables, onions, garlic, carrot, whatever things you want. And then I always add tomato paste. I feel like the tomato paste is always important with lentils. And then I add the um, lentils on top, the red lentils. Wait, then, do you do yeah. turmeric in yours too though? Oh no. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Right. Because I do the, spices. This is a red, orange, yellow dish, right? Yeah. Like that's kind of the in the color scheme of that. Oftentimes when I hear lentils, I think of just like the standard brown lentil or the standard green lentils. But this is a beautiful dish. Yes, it's, it's yellow, very orangey, yellow. yellow, orange, red. And, you know, you start with those lentils, but I've also used split peas too, like yellow split peas. Oh, yeah, before. I've done yellow too. The red, yeah. the orange just makes it a really nice color, the red lentils, but you could totally use split yellow peas. But spices are a key. I do a I often will do like a garam masala if I have that on mm-hmm. hand. But if not, then I'll just add a lot of those flavors like turmeric, black pepper, some cinnamon or cardamom, coriander, coriander yeah. cumin. Yes. And turmeric. I think that I think the two keys for me are turmeric and a tomato paste. Yeah. Because both of them add a beautiful color and also like a really beautiful depth of flavor that's necessary. But then I think all the other pieces are kind of riffable, you know? Absolutely. And then that coconut, the co- the coconut is and really a whole necessary. coconut milk, not light coconut milk. You really not want that like fatty coconut milk. What about coconut cream? Sometimes if yeah, that's I all do I that. have, I just use that. And you can make it vegan if you you can just add water or just a vegetable broth, but coconut cream um, is vegan. Yes, I'm just saying, like, you can also, if you wanted to add bone broth to it and oh. make it really rich, you know, even richer than with the coconut milk. But yeah, it, it's such a riffable dish, you know. And then I love to top it with fresh cilantro if I have it around. Yes. Or, you know, it really, cilantro is my favorite herb for this particular dish, but I'm sure like a parsley would work. It's just not quite the same. And then you and I think we both topped this with fried shallots or onions before too. We have done that. If you want to start to get fancy, you can have the the lentils, the rice, 
some fried shallots. You could add a little yogurt to it. You could add, you could put a bunch of vegetables into it. Instead of rice, you could do farro or pearl barley if you wanted more texture. Yeah. And you then could even any- make it soupier. If you add more water and coconut milk, you can kind of, and you can immersion blend it and it can becomes like a red lentil coconut soup that's really nice. And Another thing I like to and add velvety. is if you, yeah, velvety. If you blend it, if you blend it like that, then it becomes like a really velvety lentil soup. I also love fresh ginger in it too. If I have that around, yes, ginger and or lemongrass. Any lemongrass. that also works. Yeah, yeah. If, if I've had there are occasions when I've bought lemongrass for another recipe, and then inevitably there's a little bit left over, and so I always throw that in for this too. And your point about yogurt is so good because I really do love a little scoop of like, especially like a Greek yogurt or a labna thicker yogurt. In this, it adds that tart creaminess that's so nice, or um, a good squeeze of lime is so nice yes, at the end. Yes, I will also offer like. You know, the sort of thinner version of yogurt, like that's more of like an Indian yogurt. Yeah. A drizzle of that over that is really also very nice. Like very that good. also works. Yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah. I thought of something that you make that makes me think it's probably one of those things that you make that you don't need a recipe for. And I think is a really fun uh, weeknight meal. And it's the way you make potato nachos. Oh my gosh. Yes. Totally. Isn't that right? It, Isn't that sort yes. of perfect? I don't need a yes. recipe dinner. That's a great I don't need a recipe dinner. It's funny. I think I perfected my potato nacho situation in pandemic for sure. But Can you describe it for everyone? Because I have my memory of it, but I'd love to hear your description of it. This dish is kind of a a combination of many ideas, but it really starts off with boiled potatoes, right? You, if, And especially I like to use more fingerling or potato that we have around here called like a German butterball, but yeah. any version of those like sort of creamy potatoes that, that are small, I boil those. And then when I drip, once they're cooked fork tender, you drain them. And then I spread them out onto a baking sheet and smash them with like the bottom of a glass or, you know, yeah, like a really, smashed potato. Yeah, like a smash, a crispy smashed potato. And then you douse them with olive oil and roast them in the oven. So they kind of make these like a potato chip. The idea of a, of a, it's a vessel. It's a crispy potato vessel. And while those are crisping, you can take any combination of other vegetables that you have. I generally have things like broccoli in my, we eat a lot of broccoli at our house. So it's like, I'll roast broccoli, I'll roast cauliflower, I'll roast mushrooms. You can also add if you had any vegetables, I've done it with like fresh summer corn, or even you could use frozen corn, just get your vegetables, like they need to separately be cooked and crispy. And then once your potatoes are crispy themselves, you think of them as nachos. And so then you start to layer other vegetables onto that. Sometimes if I have like black beans, you know, around, I'll add some beans in there and then the vegetables and then cheese, you melt cheese over top of it. If you have bacon, if you eat bacon, that's another thing that you can add into there. And then this is an idea that always reminds me of you because this is such a nice addition, which is I like to do a cashew cream with kind of those like t- those Mexican taco flavors like chili powder, cumin, paprika, and that's kind of like, like a nice creamy addition too. But you could do like um, a sour cream or a crema. You can do a sour anything. cream or a crema too. Yeah. Do you do guacamole ever as a topping? And yes, and you can do guacamole as a topping too. I mean, I had a version of this also at the farmers market years ago. There was this couple that had this like roasting truck where they would kind of roast all these vegetables and then put them together 
together in a bowl with this crema situation and it was all vegetables and it was so delicious. It had potatoes too, which are comforting and sort of filling, but all these other veggies. And so that to me, yes, you're right, is like an endlessly riffable. Because it's also like kind of like a version of a baked potato. It's kind of a version of nachos, but it's basically like you layer these crispy potatoes with cooked sauteed vegetables, whatever they are, greens, broccoli, whatever. Then you put that back in the oven topped with a bunch of cheese so it gets all melted melty bacon if you want it too. gets all melty, crispy, wonderful cooked bacon, obviously. Yes. And then you serve it with all these sides, probably like fresh scallions and cilantro would be good too. And all your like sour cream, crema, cashew cream, a lot like, yeah, like a lot of cilantro is nice on there. Like a lot of scallions are nice on there. I think nachos is, can be a really elevated dish. If you think about it from creating all the elements separately and then putting them all together at the last minute. So, you know, if you thoughtfully put it all together, like crisp up your potatoes first, get your veggies going, get your bacon going if you want, like have all the elements ready to go. And that's kind of what this couple did at the farmer's market too, is like all their elements were considered separately. And then at the very last minute, you combine it all together and it makes this like insanely delicious offer. Can you boil your potatoes ahead of time yes. and then smash yeah. them? Like, like, could you even do it like, oh, I'm going to boil some potatoes. To- potatoes while I'm making breakfast, stick them in the fridge and do it later? Like, or do they have to be warm? They don't smash as well when they're cold. So I like to smash them when they're warm. It's just a lot easier to do. And they kind of smash more beautifully, like Mm. in more craggy ways. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's the other thing that I've done with this dish is I've served it as a brunch dish and I put eggs on top. So (laughs) And and it's like, it's a great dish because you can make it vegan, vegetarian, meat eating, all of the things. And, you know, I've actually, I just made this for a retreat recently and I made two separate baking sheets of it. And one baking sheet was like fully loaded. And then the other baking sheet was like half all veggies. One side had cheese and the other side was completely vegan. And so you can kind of make it very inclusive for people that are at the table. There's so Um, many things you could do. You could do soy riso. You could do ground beef. You could do – like it's a real like nachos, it sort of has a variety of things you can include and make it work. Cause it's a perfect, you don't need a recipe. It's a concept. Like roast yes. chicken, like a stew, like a lentil. These are just like the concepts that you the concept of it. Are freeing yeah. because you don't have to really worry. They all they work at different oven temperatures, they work in different yeah. dishes, they work like in different ways, in different kitchens with different ingredients. I also think they speak of a moment. Yeah. You know, I'll say like, especially when I'm thinking of about the nachos. I do remember this one time in like the middle of the summer, we had another family come over for breakfast. We had, I had all this fresh corn and I, so I had like roasted the corn and I had made some bacon and I had all these mushrooms that I had. And then there was broccoli and, you know, it kind of speaks like of if, if you're cooking with what's seasonal, you know, you, you could put roasted zucchini pieces on there. You could, I mean, there's so many things that you could do. Yeah. I mean, and there's no question this is a broad, topic. Like, yes, I think we could think of a lot. But I think what we got at today that's so great and reinvigorating for me to think about is that there are these just these go to ideas and they don't have rules and you'll never need a reference. You don't need to check a recipe. You just know the and, and there's so many different directions they can go in. 
with so many moods and seasons. And those are the kind of dishes you end up making over and over and over again in your life and also then become your comfort foods. Yeah. And I think in some ways, like they're easy to overlook. It's like having this conversation reminds me of all the versions of that. It's like I'm feeling a little more confident to try out your chicken, this chicken idea. (laughs) I would even offer like to our listeners, once we release this episode, I'd love to know if if this like conjures up ideas that people would offer. Because I think that's what, again, happens between the food friendship between you and me, which is I don't necessarily think it's special, but then I share it with you and you're like, wow, that's a great idea and and vice versa. And I think we can really learn from each other this thing that you almost take for granted that you don't even do, you do without thinking, right? We really do love hearing from people. And sometimes friends of mine text me after the show and will tell me things they're making. So we really like, please drop us a line, share your recipes. I'd love to know. Because the truth is like the dishes you cook without recipes are going to vary so much from home to home and are so rooted in family and and cultures and places and geography. And so, yeah, I think it would be really fun to hear what everyone's go-to, this is the thing I make every week. And I don't even Recipe without a recipe. Yeah, recipe without a recipe. Please share us or tag us. Yeah. Take a picture. Show us what you're making. We will totally repost. and Yeah. We can all learn from each other. I've learned so much from you. And when we have these conversations, it's like, well, who made coconut lentils first? Which version did we end up on? And it's like, that's kind of the stuff of life, right? Yeah, it's like- it's so sweet. <laughs> it's the connector. Yeah. I love it. Well, this is a really fun conversation. I'm ready to go back and get in the kitchen and start cooking. I'm going to try to roast a chicken now. I can't wait to hear. I'm definitely making a green bean soup. Do, that's for sure. <laughs> Make sure you use a good amount of butter. That's always my <laughs> I love that tip. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. We love hearing from you. So follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating.